1: You don't want it, you don't need it, but you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin.
2: Welcome in, everyone. Tim Murray once again sitting in for Sheehan. Sheehan expected to be back, I would imagine, uh, with your normal run of uh, guests. Tommy back in the fold, and I'm sure uh, with the news that Kevin Willard is officially the head men's basketball coach of Maryland. Uh, He will have plenty of thoughts and great guests as well. But one more run with me, Tim Murray. Aaron Oster is here. Uh, We actually had finished up the podcast, and then the Matt Ryan news came out, and I said, all right, well, let's just throw that on there to start. Uh, What to expect on this pod uh, in just a couple minutes, I will throw to an interview uh, that I had earlier today with Jeff Ehrman uh, from Inside Maryland Sports, who does such a tremendous job covering the Terps and, and all facets there. Uh, it certainly was all over the Willard news. And then uh, we'll wrap things up with a full breakdown of the weekend. That was and an early look at some sweet 16 games with my friend Jim Root uh, that you heard from uh, back on Wednesday. So once again, uh, rate and review as Kevin would like to tell you, uh, doesn't cost you a thing really helps out the podcast. All right. Couple thoughts real quickly. Uh, we also have to hear from Aaron uh, as we talked on Friday uh, as we kind of all expected, Willard would be the guy, he is the guy, um, and uh, and that is that. But uh, how about Matt Ryan going to the Indianapolis Colts? And Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, pretty impressive move here to see the haul that uh, it took to get Matt Ryan. Now, Matt Ryan had a huge cap hit, but that has been lowered to $28 million, which is lower than Carson Wentz's cap hit. He gave up a third round pick, but they got a third round pick because of the Carson Wentz deal. Uh, They don't have a first, remember. So, you know, Chris Ballard isn't, uh, you know, perfect. They did have to give up that first round pick a year ago. That goes to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles for Carson Wentz. But ultimately, they swapped Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan. Same cap hit, essentially. And they get a third round pick that could become a second round pick next year. Uh, I would say that's a win for the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, You've seen some movements uh, when it comes to the odds market. I think I saw our friend, uh, Over at uh, Winbet, uh, moved them from 25 down to 18 to 1, the Colts. I mean, the AFC is just just ridiculous. I mean, they just keep getting dudes and dudes and dudes. And then you think back to a year ago, and the Atlanta Falcons drafted a tight end with the fourth pick uh, (laughs) when they had (laughs) a glaring need of quarterback. So, uh, Jameis Winston also staying with New Orleans. Uh, So, it's starting to kind of figure things out. And now you just try to figure out, okay, where does Baker Mayfield now ultimately land? I thought Indianapolis would make some sense there. Uh, He does not. So, um, you know, I I think some commander fans might be maybe a little frustrated um, to know. But I think Matt Ryan ultimately wanted to go to Indianapolis. That was what when the Deshaun Watson talks were going on. And for an organization like the Falcons, where he's meant so much, he's won an MVP there, led them to a Super Bowl. They were probably trying to do right for him. Uh, they did take on a $40 million dead cap hit uh, for Matt Ryan, largest in NFL history. Um, so the the carousel of quarterbacks, Aaron, is coming to a close. Matt Ryan to Indianapolis, just another monster there in the AFC they just need a quarterback not to mess things up and I I don't know how Washington fans are feeling I don't think they're feeling all that great but think about this you know the Colts were on the hook with Carson Wentz they needed to get rid of him and uh, they got rid of him and now they bring in Matt Ryan they just needed someone they wanted to not mess things up Washington now has that quarterback in Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan goes to Atlanta
3: yeah, I mean, I think the cap hit is a, a big factor in this when you're kind of looking at this, and the fact that it is pretty equal between Wentz and Ryan, and don't forget that uh, the Colts also ended up swapping second round yeah. picks with the Commanders, so not a big deal. They moved up, I believe, five spots the swap there, but basically trading Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan, a swap of seconds, and what likely will become a second round pick, is uh, it, it doesn't feel can't feel great for Commanders fans. But, you know, we talked about this on Friday, that this was just kind of Washington, and, and I, I struggle scoring back scoring back and forth between saying Washington, the commanders even still, but um, they didn't want to end up being kind of the last person last sure. because of all these other, you know, we talked about it on Friday, all these situations, would a quarterback choose them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you now really have two teams left on the uh, carousel in Carolina and Seattle with Possibly Baker and Jimmy G left. So if you threw Washington in that equation, they could be in even more trouble right now. Um, look, it, as it is, the Colts got way better of the deal. That that's not in doubt right now. The Colts got better of the deal. Uh, the Commanders didn't, and I could see Commanders fans being upset. They probably should be upset, but it's you know it's kind of the final, not final. But th- this is where the road goes down when you end up making the decisions you've made over the past 15 years,
2: really. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but they didn't want to be left at the altar with no quarterback. They went out, got Carson Wentz. Uh, surprised that they're paying him all his money, um, but uh, that's where we are. So Matt Ryan is a Colt, uh, traded uh, for a third-round pick and uh, lowered his cap hit from 48 down to $28 million, essentially right around what Carson Wentz uh, was going to make. So Jeff Furman coming up in just a moment, but – uh, I've given you know my thoughts throughout the podcast on the Kevin Willard uh, decision. I talked about it on Thursday's podcast. It was the logical choice. I think it was probably the best option available after Andy Enfield got the bag. Bruce Pearl got the bag. Ray Patino wasn't going to happen. So, uh, Aaron, before we uh, welcome in Jeff, uh, your thoughts uh, on your new head man, Kevin Willard.
3: You know, I said it on Friday, he's a good coach. He's not the home run hire I would have liked at the beginning of this process. But he was one that, you know, from moment one, it was, okay, here are the guys you'd like. I, I had, you know, Musselman and Oats on that list. I had, you know, I liked some of the younger guys. I liked Todd Golden. But Willard was always that guy. I was like, you know what, I think we can get Willard. I'd be pretty happy if we got Willard because Willard's a good coach. Obviously, after Friday night, it, it's a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow, but you can't get too worked up over one game in the tournament or even two games. I, it drives me crazy. All these people who are like, well, they, they should be hiring Shaheen Holloway. Now it's like, <laughs> you didn't know who Shaheen Holloway was before Thursday. And if you did know who Shaheen Holloway was, you only knew him as the player. You didn't even know he was in coaching right now. You know, same, same with some of these other guys who are in the sweet 16 right now. It's like, you can't get too worked up over one or uh, one or two game sample size. Kevin Willer's is a good coach. Uh, a lot will determine, depend on what sort of assistance he gets around him. Um, you get a good staff around him. Obviously, he's bringing, uh, according to Jeff Ehrman, he'll, he'll be bringing over his kind of second-in-command, and then you hope to get to local guys to really recruit well. And if you do, this has the potential to be a very good staff. Obviously, look, it, it sucked what happened on Friday, and that's what you're now trying to celebrate here, the guy who just got absolutely run off the floor. Now, granted, with injuries, with a lot of other you know things going on, that does suck, the fact that you're now turning around and giving him the helm. But when you step back, when you look at it, Kevin Willard's a good coach. Quite frankly, he shouldn't have been in the tournament this year with all the injuries he had, so the fact that he got to the tournament's a big deal. Um, and, and he's a good coach, and I think he can do well. You know, We'll see what happens. I don't think he's going to get the grace period that you know Mark Turgeon got in the past that that coach has got because you're seeing tj also burger uh, at iowa state turning a two-win team into a sweet 16 team in one year the way the portal is right now you don't get four years to put your team together so you know maybe you get a grace period this year but by the second year you need to be where you want to be in a lot of ways so that that's kind of where we're at in college basketball right now
2: yeah uh no doubt um and once again uh you know we recorded uh the two spots already with Jim and uh, Jeff here. So we'll, you'll hear some of my thoughts, but uh, you know, Nate Oates also lost, <laughs> lost to Notre Dame. Uh, TCU should have beaten Arizona last night. So, you know, I'm not sugarcoating it. I just think it's a good hire quality hire. Seton hall was uh was not in great shape when he took it over and uh, they, they leave in very good shape. And if you like Shaheen Holloway, well, he'll be the next head coach of Seton Hall. So you can watch some big East basketball and, and see your new favorite coach Shaheen Holloway uh, as he and St. Peter's move on. But as promised, Jeff Erman who's been all over this uh, has been on this podcast a number of times talking about, who would ultimately be uh, make sure to follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore Erman. inside MD sports is, uh, is, is the best place for, for all of your Maryland uh, needs. And uh, certainly he will have the latest on the coaching staff and all of that. But uh, let's get to my conversation with Jeff, which started with just the simplicity of when did the search ultimately lead to Kevin Willard being the guy.
4: Yeah, Tim. I think that became clear in the past, you know, week or so, or maybe two weeks. With the exception of a brief period where it looked like Mike Bray uh, could potentially have moved up to the top spot, but uh, Willard comes is no surprise. You know, he was the guy that I listed as the as the top contender for the job uh, right after the job opened up, right after Mark Turgeon left. You know, he was immediately toward the top of their list. They flirted with a few other coaches but I think throughout he was kind of the favorite and um, during the past you know several days it was just a matter of when and not if it was
2: going to be him. Yeah it's funny uh, because uh, you know him and uh, he's the the producer of this podcast uh, Aaron Oster. Uh, big big Maryland fan, uh, Maryland alum and uh, when Turgeon you know resigned I, I kind of looked at the fact I'm like hey man this is You know, Willard makes a ton of sense. Now, I also said Cooley and, you know, a couple other pieces too, but it just kind of felt that was the kind of right way to go. Um, Let's get to the Bray thing because there was a lot of steam late last week about Mike Bray. And, uh, you know, Kevin's talked about it. You've talked about it uh, about, you know, Bray last time wanting the job and ultimately them going to Turgeon it didn't really make ton of sense in you know the age situation he's 63 I think he's gonna be 64 you know before next season but I do get the proximity where he's from he's obviously a dude full of energy anyone watching the end of uh, you know uh, you know watching those games let's say for if if Notre Dame makes a, a run if they beat Texas Tech yesterday is the announcement still coming out today that Kevin Willard's the head coach? Yeah, it was a done deal
4: regardless uh, for at least a few days, if not longer. You know, Bray is the guy you could probably label him as the runner up, I would think. Um, and he was, you know, he did have some intriguing angles, obviously being a local guy. You know, the DeMatha thing, everybody wrings their hands year after year about not being able to get players. He's a DeMatha alum, so he might have been able to open that up a little bit. And he's a good coach. He's a winning coach, good offensive coach. You know, he's been to two Elite Eights. But I think ultimately, you know, the age factor that you mentioned was probably big. You know, 13 years older than Kevin Willard even if things go well, you're still going to probably be looking for a coach and, you know, five or six years, you know? And so, uh, I think, you know, not to speak for Damon Evans, but I think they probably wanted to go younger and, you know, Bray probably would have made more sense the last time around when they hired Mark Turgeon, who knows how things would have turned out differently.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I said on this podcast, you know, Thursday, I think it was Thursday, you know, it just Kevin Willard, you know, it, it makes sense. Uh, Bray would be fun. Um, and it would have been interesting to see what the uh you know what the staff would have been if if he had uh been the guy they had selected. So, you know, going back to Willard and you your site inside MD Sports, you know, part of the 247 family there. Um, you know, it really is the pulse of of Maryland fans. It's where Maryland fans congregate. Obviously, message boards can be uh a, a, a unique place to go and uh and 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 see where uh, the the folks are uh filing away their, their thoughts overall, as you broke this news. And now that it's official, um, what, what is your, uh, what has been the reaction from, from Maryland fans? I, I mean, I'll lay in my two cents. So we can kind of get into it as well, but you know, just what I, I felt like no matter what, Jeff, just kind of the way I was gathering it, no matter who they hired, it really wasn't going to make fans all that excited outside of, you know, Rick Patino. I felt like that got them pretty juiced up.
4: Yeah, unless you got Patino or Bruce Pearl or Nate Oates, they weren't going to be jazzed up. And there are a lot of fans who kind of have outsized expectations of Maryland. they think that you should be able to get a guy like, uh, you know, a top elite national coach. And maybe you should. But that hasn't been that's not the, the program's profile, either basketball or football. They're not the ones to go big like an SEC school and throw all money, all kinds of money at a guy or, um, you know, take somebody with a lot of baggage. That was a big issue from the start. They weren't going to take anybody who had any sort of baggage. So that eliminates Patino and some of these other guys. Uh, in terms of the reaction, I think that, you know, it is very much uh, wait and see. I would say that might even be a generous way. There's a lot of people, quite honestly, who aren't thrilled with it. They look at his NCAA tournament record. He's one in five in the tournament, and they say, we just got rid of this guy who we were upset about, you know, not winning in the tournament, and we hire this guy who hasn't won in the tournament. Um, And then I think, you know, probably – You know, 20% are are happy with it, and and another percentage are saying, well, we got to wait and see and support the new guy, and at least he's not Turgeon, basically. You know, I think that's a mindset (laughs) to a lot of them, but, um, you know, it's definitely not, like, it's definitely not one where they're going to throw a parade, but I think at the same time, you know, maybe some of them underestimate how difficult it is to to win big at Seton Hall it's not it's not Maryland it's a tough job you know there are there are definitely worse jobs out there it's a biggie's job but it's not uh the question is how how will his winning and recruiting translate at a higher level both in terms of the challenge of doing it and also you know his success so that's the question but um you know it's definitely a mixed bag of reactions
2: yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the hire, um, you know, uh, you know, if, if it was Rick Pitino, you know, that's, that's a home run, right? You, I mean, you, he's a national championship, uh, you know, type of coach. There is the baggage uh, side of it. But, you know, for me, I, I think you made a great point there, Jeff, which is look at Seton Hall was a disaster when he took it over. I mean, it, it wasn't a good it wasn't in a good state. They had had two coaches prior, a handful of NCAA tournament uh, appearances and it, it took him a while to get this thing back on track. You know, they, they went five straight years without an NCAA tournament appearance in his tenure at, at Seton hall. And then boom, they start, you know, pumping them out. And I, and I know the record is, is, you know, not one that is all that ideal in the NCAA tournament and they got their ass kicked by TCU, but Hey, I mean, TCU took Arizona to the ropes last night and arguably probably should have won that game if not for, yep maybe a questionable call at the end of the game or a, you know, a ridiculous three from the Wildcats, but uh, you know, kind of like 2020 for Mark Turgeon, it's the, the, what, what would have happened? Right. I mean, they won Maryland, obviously won the big 10. You go back to 2020 Seton hall yeah. won the big East in, in 2020. I mean, that team was really good. I had a lot of talented players and then they don't get an NCAA tournament. So, you know, when you look at Kevin Willard, um, and how he built that program, you know, Maryland, when Turgeon came in, obviously it was kind of in a, a rebuild situation, took a while to get things going. How would you say the program is right now, you know, for Willard stepping in and, and, and what kind of success uh, could he have uh, on a more, you know, immediate uh, in a more immediate nature, as opposed to, you know, what Turgeon dealt with when he came over, for, came in for Gary, or when Willard uh, took over at Seton hall, because, uh, I mean, there there was no success there.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the program's in decent shape. Anytime you have a coaching change, usually you're not going to inherit a loaded roster. But, you know, I think it depends on who stays and who goes. I think most of their key guys will probably stay. You can never fully project in a situation like this, especially with the new coach and NIL and all these other things. But I think that they'll keep their, their core. So, you know, if you're able to bring back a Dante Scott and Julian Reese, Hakeem hard some of these other guys and then you know basketball it's not like football you don't need a few years to rebuild the program you can do it pretty quickly with the transfer portal so you, if you add three or four guys around them maybe more you might need more than that but you know they should be able to be solid next year it's not it shouldn't be some lengthy rebuilding process and when you're paying somebody north of four million bucks a year there's no reason for it to be a lengthy rebuild process so I think it'll be interesting to follow right out of the gate. It's not going to be like when Turgeon came around and the roster was really weak and the portal wasn't as, as popular then. And you knew that first year was going to be kind of a slog. You
2: know, it, it, I don't think it's like that anymore. You mentioned the, uh, the salary. And I, I think I saw you tweet about it. So what is uh, what's the salary and uh, what's the contract situation for Willard?
4: Yeah, it's reportedly five years, $4.4 4 million a year, which, you know, last I checked probably makes him one of the top 15 or so highest paid coaches in the country. So that's pretty good money, but that's the way it's come to be in recent years. Coaches more and more have a mindset of if I'm somewhere with security, I'm not leaving, And especially if it's a power five or power six, whatever, including the big East, uh, school. So you have to overpay to get guys to leave good situations now. And that's why partially why he's making, you know, nearly, uh, a million dollars more per year than Turgeon was at the end. Uh,
2: what, what is, uh, what are some of the rumors? I know, I mean, he hasn't even been introduced. He'll be introduced on Tuesday, but any rumors, uh, you know, I know, uh, I feel like anytime, and I, I, I talked about him for the GW job and uh, anytime there's a, now a big job, especially now that he's on Virginia tech staff, everyone's like, all right, go get Mike Jones, former DeMatha coach, bring him to the staff. Uh, it's probably not that easy. Uh, but any rumors about what the staff could potentially look like?
4: Yeah, Mike Jones is interesting. People would love to see that. I don't know if he'll leave Virginia Tech, except for if it's a head coaching job. He makes really good money there. He's the associate head coach, so he's not your run of the run of the mill assistant. So uh, he's probably a long shot. A guy like Tony Skin, who's really well re- well respected, was an assistant. At Ohio State last year, uh, had worked previously under Willard at Seton Hall and and was part of that George Mason Final Four team back in the day. He's one to watch closely. Grant Billmeyer, who's been working for Willard for the past 10 years, was his associate head coach at Seton Hall. You'd have to think he'd be very strongly in the mix. If he doesn't get a head coaching job, which could uh, actually happen, and then there's, you know, from there, there's a lot of guys who would love to, to have the job. I was told that he's that Willard's been getting calls from former head coaches and, and power five lead assistant coaches. So, you know, it's it's a job that a lot of guys would kill for. And, you know, you figure if he if he keeps skin and or Bill Meyer, then there's just gonna be one opening. So he'll have to choose wisely.
2: Well, and, and, you know, recruiting is the name of the game and the, and the portal Um, you know, it's, it's just a different beast, you know, not to say that Seton hall is some chump, but you know, I've been to Seton hall's campus. It's uh, no offense to any Seton hall alums out there. It's not the most uh, beautiful campus Uh, there, you know, the fan base is kind of scattered that, you know, I I think the situation certainly makes a lot of sense to come here. And that's why I think hopefully Maryland fans will recognize, you know, the, the sustained success that they had, uh, down the stretch was, was really damn impressive, but you know, rec- recruiting chops wise, uh, any worry uh, about Willard or, or on the other side, excitement about him, you know, he's, I think he's a New Jersey guy or a New York guy. So he's got ties to the area. So it's not like he, he doesn't come in, you know, blind to, to what this area can be. So recruiting wise, what, what's your expectation for Willard uh, and this staff?
4: Well, I mean, that's where the coaching hires come in big because people love to talk about head coaches as recruiters, but the reality is the assistants do most of the work there. You know He was a a solid enough recruiter at Seton Hall, but definitely was not recruiting on a Maryland level, which no one could have really been expected. Now, again, the question, like I said earlier, is is that recruiting translate now that you have so much more to sell, you know, these facilities at Maryland that you didn't have, this recruiting base. And then, you know, anytime you have a new coach, they tend to get that early recruiting bump because you haven't lost any games yet. So you can sell this great vision of building a national title contender. So they call that the, the new coach bump. He should get the new coach bump. Uh, I would think he, you know, he'll hire a staff and be a good recruiter. Question is, will it be, you know, a Mark T- Turgeon level of recruiter or ne- the next level up? You know, obviously, if you're going to get Maryland to the to, to where these fans want it to be, you need to recruit at a consistently higher level.
2: So that's, that, that's a million dollar question about Willard. Yeah. So Kevin Willard is the guy. Only time will tell. I like the hire. Am um, I blown away? No, but I, I think this is, it's a pretty good job, you know, pretty, pretty good guy to bring in here. Uh, I consider the big East, a, you know, among a power five level competition and, and certainly Villanova has been great there and they've gone toe to toe with them over the years. So uh, I think it's a solid hire for, for Maryland. Rick Patino would have been my number one. And then after that, I mean, you know, Ed Cooley, Willard. I mean, it, it just Cooley probably was never happening. I mean, so uh, Willard, I think is is a good hire. Hey, Jeff, before I let you run real quickly, I saw you tweet about this the other day. Uh, I'm just uh, intrigued by this situation because of one of the names you mentioned in JT3, uh, what are you hearing about George Washington? I was uh, a bit surprised they uh, they moved on from Jamie and Christian and in the fashion that they did that quickly. But uh, that that's a program that really has kind of been all over the place here since uh since since Lonergan's departure so uh what are some names you're hearing and could we see uh JT3 back on a sideline here soon
4: yeah t- so I've actually got a little bit of fondness for them I used to go to their games when I was younger watching Yinka Dare and those guys here you know, they beat uh number one UMass and yeah. stuff like that but you know obviously they have not Come near that level. And Jamie and Christian was, you know, the, the results were really poor this year. But uh, I think from what I've been told, Mike Pegues, uh, who was the interim head coach last year after Chris Mack left Louisville. He was Chris Mack's uh, associate head coach. So I was told he interviewed for the job. I would think he'd be a great hire. He's a local guy, another DeMatha guy. Uh, has tons of local ties very well respected and then the other two names I heard were Martin Inglesby who got Delaware to the tournament had a really good team this year and then JT3 which would be really interesting I mean to me if you're if you're GW that's also a great hire a guy who's had really high level success I mean you know he he had some really good teams at Georgetown um, and you know has been out of the game for a while so they've got some pretty pretty solid candidates i'm not sure which one of those guys is in the lead right now or even if there's anybody else in the mix
2: yeah i'm with you i i didn't go to gw but uh you know soft spot there for them and uh, when they're good it's it's a it's a fun lo- it's a fun arena uh smith center but uh but the news obviously and the excitement and uh we'll see uh for for kevin willard you know sheen will be back tomorrow we'll get all his thoughts but jeff I uh, really appreciate it. I know you've been grinding away on this, uh, on this story and, and you've been on top of it, man. And uh, you know, great work and we'll see how it plays out. Intro presser on Tuesday night, Kevin Willer, the new head man of the Terps, Jeff, great stuff. Thanks Tim. Appreciate you having me. All right. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore Ehrman inside MDSports.com is uh, where you need to uh, see all of that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back uh, more on the weekend, more thoughts on the hiring of Kevin Willard. It is the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. All right, we keep it rolling. Thanks
2: again to Jeff Ehrman. Uh, I know right off the top having a guest a little unusual, but I thought with the, uh, the news official that Kevin Willard is the new man and, uh, this podcast being so, uh, Pro-Maryland, uh, not because of me, but because of the guy that hosts this show, who will be back tomorrow, and I'm sure he'll have a slew of great guests uh, all throughout the week and his thoughts on the, the Willard, uh, uh, I was going to say signing, but uh, the Willard uh, decision uh, to make him the next head coach of Maryland. Once again, uh, rate, review, subscribe. It doesn't cost a thing. That is uh, what Kevin always says. All right, let's keep it rolling. Uh, more on Kevin Willard. More on the weekend that was uh, with my guy, a good friend of mine who was busy, busy, busy over the weekend, uh, living life in Vegas. Uh, that is Jim Root at Second Chance Points on Twitter. He joined us uh, to break down the bracket on the first pod that I was filling in for, and now he rejoins us uh, to, uh, to uh, basically say goodbye because uh, I am uh, I'm out after this, much to the uh, joy of everyone. But uh, Jim How'd you survive the weekend? Uh, I, I saw some pictures. It uh, looked like you were having a good time, man. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, it, it is, for those uh, uninformed, We I'm part of the 3 men. We have done an annual trip to Las Vegas for uh, nine years where we head to the Strip. We watch all the games. We gamble. We misbehave. It is, it is a joy, something I look forward to every year. But what we did not realize when we started that was that we would eventually start to work in college basketball. <laughs> and you can't really take those three days fully off so there wasn't much sleep there was a lot of early wake-up calls <clears throat> to do shows as you can see my as you can hear my, my voice, voice sounds great has taken a little <laughs> bit of a beating as well um but you know what it was all worth it i, I love getting to just dive into the tournament with a bunch of pals the, the gambling the hanging out it's it's really a true joy and something to look forward to every single year you know every every year you know what day of the calendar it is and something to look forward to
2: yeah it's it's awesome um you know i uh I didn't get out this weekend. I was on dad duty. Uh, we'll uh, get to a fun little story about uh, my situation uh, in a contest that I was in as I burp on air. Um, we'll keep it in. Nah, whatever. It's it's a podcast. You're allowed to burp. Um, but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Um and uh, actually, real quick, because uh, this is a really fun thing, and I and this is going to be more just, uh, which is kind of nice, Jim, because, you know, my show on VEASAN and what you do a lot of the time with, uh, you know, all the different entities that you work for, we, we look so far ahead, we don't get a chance to digest, but this isn't a gambling podcast. I mean, we talk about gambling. Kevin obviously is a big gambler and has me on to talk about it, but, you know, we can kind of digest the games and, and react. So that's kind of fun. I look forward to doing that, but uh, real quickly, before we jump into Kevin Willard and uh, him being the new head coach of Maryland, uh, the uh, there's a really fun thing that, uh, that happens at these sports books and it's the race to 15. And I, uh, you had a great bet. I can't remember if you gave it out on this podcast or not. It was Jacksonville state first to 15 uh, against Auburn, which hit, I had the first to 10 and they were blocked at the rim. Uh, so I had both. So one came home. So we were, we were good, but yeah, I mean, you look at it. Uh, I had Michigan state yesterday, first to 15, that came home, Miami first to 15, obviously they won that game outright, but, uh, the scene where you were, um, those first to 15 runs uh, for people who haven't been to Vegas, is that one of the more fun things to watch is, watching these underdogs and if they can come home and get you some, uh, some decent cash on the plus money. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I mean, you're, you're hoping for hot shooting. And I fortunately got that with the old, uh, with the Gamecocks. I think they started five for seven from deep before they missed their next 11 or something like that. So I, I got the early hot shooting that I needed there, uh, but it's, it's a very fun one to watch in a crowd. And even if you're not on one, but if there's somebody else in a group or a different group nearby you that's on it, because you'll forget about it. And suddenly it'll hit 15 points for the underdog and there'll be this, this big uproar. And you're like, what are they? sub? Oh, they must've had first to 15. So, you know, like down the end of the game, everybody's sweating the spread. Everybody's sweating the total. Like you kind of have an idea what's happening. Uh, But when there's a bunch of different games going on, you lose track of a, a race to 15, but it's such a quick bet. You're dialed in for it. It usually takes, you know, the first six or seven minutes of the game and it's easy to just get locked in and every basket means so much. Every call means so much. Everything just gets played up in terms of the stakes. It is an absolute treat to be on. And I feel like we've done close to coin flip on it. And, and there are a lot of like plus 300, plus 400 type of odds out there. So, yeah, I, I adore that bet.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, the, the, the run of those now that we're in the Sweet 16 is gone. So uh, we'll, we'll get to the games that just happened, uh, our thoughts, you know, um, this biggest surprise is all of that in just a moment, but this is a DC centric podcast. Uh, and the, uh, the news became official today, uh, that Kevin Willard is the guy, uh, I, I like this hire. I don't love it. I like it. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. And I saw a lot of people, you know, on Twitter basically saying, this is just Mark Turgeon 2.0, you know, he's one in five in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they just got their ass kicked by TCU, uh, which I guess doesn't look so bad considering TCU was a, uh, a bomb away from uh, winning that game outright yesterday against Arizona. But, um, you know, I, I, the more and more I think about it, you know, look, Seton Hall is, it's a Catholic school in you know, Northern New Jersey, great, not great facilities, you know, fan base is kind of weird. Um, and, and you're, you're getting an opportunity here in Maryland. So, I don't know what Maryland fans were hoping for. We had, you know, we just had Jeff on and he kind of said it was a mixed bag. I think there's a lot of, I think whoever they hired outside of Rick Pitino, there would have been, oh, you know, would they? this is the best they can do. I mean, you're getting a guy that has led a team to a tournament, what, five times in the last six years. You know, they would have been uh, a three or four seed in the COVID season. Um, so, you know, the more and more I think about it, I think this is about as good as Maryland could have expected. You know, I, I love Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley wasn't leaving. Um, he's, he's got a great situation in Providence. Uh, Rick Bettino would have brought a, a ton of enthusiasm was we found out, uh, they wanted no baggage. Bruce Pearl got, got the bag there at Auburn. And oh, by the way, how did that, you know, end up there, uh, over the weekend, uh, Andy Enfield, I think, uh, Willard's better than Andy Enfield, in my opinion. And, and Enfield got the bag as well at USC. So the more and more I think about it, at the end of the day, you're getting a good coach. Took over a program that was in you know in bad shape when he took over Seton Hall. Took him a while to get it going, and you know with the portal being what it is, I think he could instantaneously make them a competitor. And I think uh, Jim and something that you break down a lot. I think his style, a lot of toughness and all that, you know those type. I think his style can translate to the Big Ten. So Kevin Willard to Maryland, your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I, I, immediate reaction was kind of along the lines of that. Like, oh, you ran Mark Turgeon out of town largely because of NCAA tournament, lack of success, and then you look at Willard, and it's not like he's blown you away in that event. But kind of like Turgeon, his his best year was the COVID year, and he missed out on a chance to really make a run that season. Uh, and he was getting lower seats, eight, nine type stuff. Seton Hall has, I would argue, less resources than Maryland. Yeah, um, So he, he was succeeding – with a little bit of a lower means. And now he goes up to a really top shelf job. Uh, There's going to be some renewed energy in the, in the building out there in college park. I think it's a good hire too. It's not a grand slam Homer or whatever, uh, but it's solid. He wins games. He has really figured it out over the past seven years. Like you said, five tournaments plus the COVID one It's six out of seven. I think most programs would be pretty pleased with that. I know my alma mater would. Uh, So, Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's not like a banner hire, like you said, it's not a hall of fame. It's not something that you're going to, uh, you know, write home about immediately, but it's, it's good. It's steady. And I think he will win consistently, if not hugely the same, like he won't win. I don't think he won a national title there, but I think it, you'll, you'll see a second weekend here and there. He'll mix that in. Uh, he's a solid coach.
2: Well, let me ask you this. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of buzz uh, right around the play in game. The first four that Mike Bray was, was the guy he was, he was going to Maryland that he was going to bring um, uh, the, the Louisville interim coach. Uh, was it uh, Pegasus yeah, Pegues, Pegues. Uh He was going to bring him uh, who might get the George Washington jibe uh, per reporting. Uh, he's up for that. Uh, then, you know, Jeff basically said in our previous segment, you know, Mike Bray was basically the runner up. Um, you know, I'm sure Bray would never say that he's 63. If, if you had to choose as a Maryland fan, if you were a Maryland fan, put your Maryland fan hat on, would you rather have Kevin Willard or Mike Bray? I'll give you my thought. I love Mike Bray. Uh, I think he's awesome. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a very good coach. I think he's tremendous with the media. I think it'd be fun uh, to watch. I, I jokingly said on the podcast, you know, last week, I hope he coaches two more years and then we can get a good five, seven year run out of him in the media. Cause he's just awesome. He's just a good dude. People like him. He's well-respected, but Kevin Willard makes more sense for this program. I mean, if you're getting Mike Bray is not Rick Pitino, Rick Pitino is a multinational championship coach. Okay. You that's different. He's a hall of famer. I, I, I think Kevin Willard, and I think most Maryland fans would agree is a better move for the long term of this program than Mike Bray, even though Mike Bray, of course, has the Dematha ties and the ties to the area. Yeah, I
1: think just in a vacuum, like if I, for one season, I'd probably take Bray, but this isn't a one season hire. Like this is a, let's look long-term, you're getting a 46-year-old instead of a 62-year-old. Uh, I, I I believe in what Willard has accomplished. Bray is, is great. I love watching his offenses play. I think that might be... You know, if there's a if there's a knock on this, it's that Seton Hall isn't like a great offensive team. Pretty consistently, they're not. Uh, and Bray's teams always have have beautiful spread pick and roll. Uh, they spread the floor with shooters. But at, yeah, in the Big Ten, you're not really like it's not an offensive driven league. Like look what Nebraska has done trying to bring in an offensive mastermind in Fred Hoiberg. It hasn't worked. You you need the defense. You need the toughness. I think as a fit in the Big Ten, Willard works out a lot better. And you add in the fact that he's younger. You add in the fact that um, you know there isn't a chance that he might retire soon, like Bray
2: Bray, Bray could. Um, I think, yeah, overall, it's, it's the better move. All right. So Kevin Willard, he will be introduced on Tuesday. Uh, Sheehan obviously will have his thoughts when he returns from vacation, and I'm sure he'll have some great guests on uh, the uh, the press release. You know, had all sorts of quotes from uh, from different. Uh, you know, coaches from around Gary Williams, Ed Cooley, etc., was uh, were part of that press release. Uh, pretty pretty poorly kept secret. Late uh, as after they lost to TCU, he was basically giving Shaheen Holloway, the St. Peter's coach, the job at Seton Hall, which would be uh, which makes sense. That's his uh, alma mater there. But uh, speaking of St. Peter's and the Peacocks, they are on to the Sweet 16. Reactions from the weekend, uh, biggest disappointments, best games refereeing all that fun stuff after uh, this quick break from some of our sponsors all right welcome back in it is the Sheen podcast tim murray sitting in for kevin one more day and uh, Sheen will be back from vacation uh rejuvenized if that's a word and uh i'm sure he'll he'll have some uh stories and and thoughts on on lots of things uh i was i was hoping i was like fingers crossed don't have any washington football news this weekend and uh for the most part yes Deshaun watson did get uh did get traded um and uh now there's some quarterback news out there but uh, i think off this weekend it's fair on this podcast with uh with the news of Willard and the, and the NCAA tournament to, to focus solely on, on college hoops. So we will do that one last time. Jim Root, once again, here, the three man weave, check out that site there. They do a phenomenal job. Uh, their Twitter feed at three MW underscore CBB is, uh, is a must this time of year. Uh, they're going to take a little reprieve, a little, a little break, a little freshening up, a little shower. And then, uh, be ready to go uh, for uh, for the sweet 16 so Jim let's um, let, let's look back at the weekend because you know you and I like I joked in the last segment we never really get a chance to do that right we we're in the gambling space so it's like all right cool those games happen now what's next but th- now we could kind of sit back and and uh, embrace it a little bit um, would you say the best game of the weekend was the finale on uh, on Sunday night, TCU in Arizona, i you know, full disclosure. I had a pretty decent bet on Texas and I was on dad duty. So I, I went and I did this on Saturday night with Memphis and Gonzaga. I paused the game, went Kona silence, put the little guy to bed, sat down, watched the entire game. And then that game ended when I was on you know tape delay and I went to TCU, Arizona I was already in overtime. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. All right. What I, what I miss here. So, um, you know, takeaways from the Arizona TCU game. And did you think that TCU got hosed on the final play? Should that have been a foul as he gets knocked out at midcourt?
1: Yeah, I think it was the best game of the weekend. I'll definitely just come around and say that the the shot making and playmaking on both sides was really impressive. Uh, Neither team had any interest in boxing out. It seemed like every big bucket was a a second chance bucket. Uh, Not a lot of defensive rebounding to be had there, but yeah, the late call, I I get it. I think that was probably a foul. Um, I think you could go back and Benedict Matherin had a dunk to cut it to one where I think he pretty obviously got fouled as well. He would have had a chance to tie it, wouldn't have needed the three-pointer. So I, I think you can kind of go down that vacuum and say, like, that probably was a foul, probably was a foul. Ultimately, I like that we had five extra minutes to figure out who the team, the best team was. They both had the equal opportunity there. Uh, I'm glad that the dunk off of the foul did not get down in time because that would have been a real bummer of a way to go, and it would have made the the foul or the lack of a foul call even more of a, a firebrand of a topic. Uh, but then they went to OT. Matherin made some huge plays. Coloco had the put-back dunk. I'm bummed to see that TCU team out because, man, they play hard. Uh, I, I think they started to get better and better down the stretch. I think they said on the broadcast is the fifth time they played a one seed in the last three weeks of the season. They played Kansas three times. They played Baylor once they beat Kansas. One of those times they they, uh, gave Kansas everything they can handle and a couple others. And they've only got one listed senior Chuck O'Bannon. That's a team that I'm going to be really high on next season. I know we're looking back, but uh, as we watch it, as long as Mike miles is back, as long as he returns for his junior year, TCU is going to be a, a real problem next season. But what a great game. I'm glad we got it to cap the, cap the evening. No buzzer beaters this weekend, but we did get some huge shots, especially in that game.
2: Yeah, that game. Uh, and then you got the uh, the sights of some blood at the end of the game. Uh, Matherin was – I mean, that shot that he hit, uh, the balls that it takes. I mean, their they're season's over if he doesn't make that three and he just steps up and buries it. And And we're going to get to Gonzaga and Memphis here in a little bit. But, you know, I know you've been very high on Arizona. We talked about it when you were on the pod, you know, last week uh, that you really jumped on the bandwagon pretty early. Um, One thing that certainly worries me um, was that, you know, TCU got after it on the offensive glass, right? They had, what, 20 offensive rebounds. And it doesn't get any easier for uh, Arizona in the next round because that's exactly what Houston wants to do. They are going to pester you on the offensive glass. So when you, when you try to digest that win, I mean the shot making, uh Kirk Carissa coming off the ankle, just he's clearly not hundred percent, you know, one for ten from three. He got some open looks late in that game. Um, maybe he'll 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 be better. He gets another day. They don't play till uh, do they play on they play on Thursday, right? So they play yep. Thursday. So he doesn't get that extra day. Excuse me. That uh, game in San Antonio. So you'll have some Houston fans there for sure. Um, how worried are you? Or, or was this a situation where, hey, they got their scare, their battle tested, they survived in advance. Unlike Baylor, unlike Auburn, unlike Kentucky, they figured out a way to get out of this. And now they're they're in good shape. Uh, I'm more worried than,
1: than uh, content and in good shape for them. Uh, the crease thing matters a lot, and I just thought uh, Lloyd was banging his head against the wall playing him so much yesterday, especially over a bigger lineup with Umar Ballo on the floor. When they played the two bigs together, that's when they went on the run. They got up 67-58. They were taking care of the paint a lot better, uh, but then they went small, and things seemed to fall apart. Eddie Lampkin just continued to eat on the offensive glass, and that is what Josh Carlton, J. wan Roberts, Fabian White, Reggie Chaney, those guys are going to be, all over the glass for Houston and the Cougars have slightly better guards. They have slightly better shooters. It's kind of like a better version of TCU and maybe it helps Arizona that they've seen it already. And like you said, Crease could get healthier, but he he was bad on defense too. And they're going to put him in a ton of pick and roll with Jamal shed. He he was brilliant against Illinois in how he handled the pick and roll. So yeah, I'm, I'm more alarmed especially because like, like, they're only a two-point favorite, whether you care about gambling or not. That tells you how close that Stinky. matchup actually is.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, Houston's ahead of them in Ken Palm. That tells you a, a lot about how great that Cougars team is and the fact that they are a similar version to a team that just gave Arizona the ultimate scare. That that definitely concerns me for Arizona.
2: Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, the, the host of this podcast, Will, 100% beyond Houston and 100% beyond Texas Tech. We'll talk about those in just a minute. But let's let's talk about Houston because, um, you know, I, I I think on this podcast incorrectly said UAB would cover. You astutely said I think this is a tricky spot for them. Um, Houston may be the most – might have been the most impressive team, you know, outside of St. Peter's uh, of, of the weekend. I mean, they – dominated Illinois. Uh, I know there are a couple runs there, but, I mean, they kind of kept them at arm's length. And I tweeted it out, and it's not, you know, groundbreaking knowledge if you follow college hoops, but, I mean, what Kelvin Sampson has done this year without their best player is absolutely ridiculous. And I know the AAC stinks, uh, and they didn't have, you know, a win over a team in the field until the final game of the season in in Memphis. But I, I just... That team without Marcus Sasser, for those who don't know, dude was averaging over you know 17 points per game before he goes down with entry. They had another guy, Trayvon Mark, who was averaging double figures. He goes down. He's lost for the season. Is this, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I know if you do it life in ifs and buts, like you, you can't do that, but I mean, is this Houston team winning the national championship fully healthy? I mean, they made the final four last year. Here they are again. What Sampson does is is wizardry, man. He is he is unfreaking believable. And that team is just a pain in the ass. And one of the best plays of the entire weekend. And so indicative, Jim, of, of what they are, right? They get a, a put, they knock a ball away uh on uh, on defense, dude races it down, he's falling out of bounds, tips it back in for a lay-in. I'm like, holy shit, this this Houston team is just something, man. So I, you know, I wasn't necessarily on their bandwagon. I didn't think they, I thought they, I thought UAB would just give them a better game. They didn't. Um, And uh, my guy, Jelly Walker, just couldn't hit a shot for his life. But I I think Houston is 100% live on Thursday.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're for real. Uh, It's, you kind of end up sounding like a cliche machine when you talk about them, but it's like the buy-in, the culture, the physicality, the next man up, like all of that stuff just applies like crazy. Uh, I I remember coming into the year thinking, well, they don't really have a true point guard. And then they just slowly but surely groomed Jamal Shedd into this this monster at the point guard's bodies and the top 30 in the country in assist rate. uh, he, He started hitting that Chris Paul jumper against Illinois where Illinois would drop their pick and roll coverage and he'd just be at the elbow all by himself. And if you can pull up and hit that shot, you are basically unstoppable in the pick and roll. And he did it a few times against Coburn, against that Illinois defense. And the, his elevation to like kind of stardom or, or semi stardom has really, really impressed me. Defensively, they, they make everything difficult. You know, Illinois wants to play through a big dude. Okay, we double the post more than anybody in the country, and they fly around on their closeouts, their rotations. It, that that's again part of like the defensive buy-in. And man, Samson recruits guys that fit. Uh, Tajay Moore drew a lot of comparisons to uh, Dejon Jean the, the shutdown defender they had last year. Six five, lanky, bouncy, and he delivered on that promise too. Like he, he really bugs people with his defensive acumen. I, I'm very sold on the legitimacy of Houston. If I, I said to Matt and Kai, my, my cohorts yesterday, if they had Sasser. I don't even know how much better they can be than they are right now, but yeah, like adding one more perimeter threat can never hurt to have another forty percent three point shooter looking around everything they do. So they're they're as good as it gets. Uh, I think they've absolutely earned their their top ranking in, in many of these analytics sites, and that game is is probably the one I am looking forward to most of next weekend. And there's a, quite a few good ones, so yeah. yeah, that's high high praise.
2: Thursday is is loaded, man. It, Thursday is going to be unbelievable with you know the the chalk region, uh, the West, you know, all four seeds advanced. And then you've got, you've got the, uh, the, the Arizona region. Um, uh, the, uh, there in the, uh, was at the Midwest, uh, they're down in San Antonio. So uh, the South, yeah, yeah, the South, South all right. Arizona, Houston, and then Michigan and Villanova. Uh, so Houston takes out in Illinois, Illinois, you know, continues to, to have its struggles, Come the NCAA tournament, they were a one seed last year. Uh, I thought unfairly had to play Loyola, but still you should win that game. And uh, they they obviously got upset by uh, the Ramblers last year in the second round, so they continue their struggles. But, you know, bigger picture of, you know, this being, you know, a, a D.C. pod and, and Maryland, of course, you know, being a uh, a true blue blood of the Big Ten, because that always makes sense. Um What's up with the big 10, uh, you know, Michigan, uh, I actually was on Michigan on, uh, uh, Saturday. Saturday. It was, I mean, you know, me, Jim, that was like, I had to be on Michigan. Everybody and their mother was on Tennessee. I didn't think they'd win outright. I just they to keep it close. And they did, they pulled it away. So Michigan is the, is the team still alive and Purdue, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Uh, that game drove me absolutely crazy. Uh, but only two teams remaining for, for this conference. Uh Iowa gets bounced in the first round. Uh they were kind of a chic pick to make a run. Um you know, you look at you know Illinois is gone. Uh Wisconsin is gone. So what do you make of the Big Ten? You know, we always try to do this. We do it during bowl season, which I think is ridiculous. But here I think it's it's fair to an extent, you know, to 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 criticize and, and question conferences. The SEC only has one team left. Kentucky and Auburn both bounced uh in the opening weekend. So, you know, when it comes to the Big Ten, what's your thought and your takeaway on, on where this conference is, uh and and their struggles here in the postseason? What they haven't won a national title. I think, since uh, Michigan State in 2000.
1: Yeah, it, it, the last year I think shocked me more with, with the Big Ten's failures. This year feel, feels kind of, eh, it's about what I expected. Like I just didn't think this league was that great at the top. Uh, it had a lot of depth to it. Uh, obviously getting as many teams into the tournament as they did, that, that exemplifies it. But you know, two 11 seeds, two 7 seeds, a 12 seed. I'm not going to give them too much flack for not getting through. Um, to to the Sweet 16, you can go case by case on some of them. Like maybe Johnny Davis was still not fully healthy for Wisconsin, Iowa. Man, I, I don't know if it's a the Fran narrative continues. I think I mentioned it on the on the pod last week. How narratives are true until they aren't. Well, Fran not making a second weekend remains true. That that is a uh, an issue for the Hawkeyes. Something they need to figure out. Uh, but a lot of those teams played fairly close games. Sunday was kind of like the bloodbath for the Big Ten, but. Down the stretch, couldn't quite get the victories. Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, couldn't, couldn't quite pull out the Ws. Maybe there's something to the style that the league plays throughout conference. It's more physical. They're allowed to play maybe a little more of a, a physical and, and foul-prone defensive style that catches up with them a little in the tournament. Uh, but – I don't have a huge sweeping narrative to paint over it. I just think the big 10 wasn't that, that strong this year. I think if I had to say, I was
2: disappointed it'd be more in the, the sec. I think that's, that's the league that really underperformed. Yeah. Let's get to the sec. So Kentucky bounces. Uh, we talked about that on Friday's pot a little bit, but then Auburn uh, gets knocked out. I'll be honest. Uh, now I didn't see them losing to Miami, but on my show on, uh, on Friday night with, uh, with Sean King on VEASAN, a um, little shameless plug every night, late night, if you want to, Hear us talk. Uh, you know, he was all in on Auburn, and I was for to an extent. And then as the year closed, winded down, I was like, I don't know about this team. Look, I, I had a future on them, a thirty to one, which was nice until it wasn't. Uh, I should have sold it before we got into the tournament because I just didn't see this. I didn't see it coming. I, I, I didn't see the run coming. I should say, and this doesn't surprise me all that much. You know, Walker Kessler gets in foul trouble right out of the shoot. Jamari Smith plays poorly. And the guard play, as, you know, I think you've talked about, is just so inconsistent. And, you know, Pearl kind of lets them do their thing. And is and a fantastic coach, obviously, you know, with, with his runs at George Mason. And he's done a really good job at Miami uh, over the years. He's had some really strong teams. Um, you know, yeah, l- let's look at the SEC because Tennessee – um, you know, was kind of that darling, hey, I think we're, they're going to come out of the South region. Could they win a title? You know, they're playing so well. That's another narrative. Rick Barnes, unable to get it done in the in, the, in March. Um, you know, Calipari. Uh, I, I'm a big Cal fan, but, you know, the facts are what they are. And, uh, you know, bounced early again here. And and you look at Auburn, uh, they're knocked out. Arkansas, the, the lone survivor. So, um, yeah, looking at the SEC, Auburn's departure doesn't surprise me, um, but I guess this early does. But I, we kind of saw it coming. They suck on the road, and their guard play is spotty at best.
1: Yeah, their top two guards took almost 353s this year, and they made a combined 30%. Like, that is a license to gun without any sort of efficiency, and it, it bit them. I mean, I, late in that game, there was some panic level from Auburn where they got down a couple possessions and they just started chucking. And that was their identity all year. I think the first time we talked to Auburn on your show way back in January or something, Sean brought that up. He's like, you know, if there's one concern, it feels like they take a lot of tough shots. And I'm like, yeah, it's part of the style. It's part of how Pearl empowers his players, gives them a ton of confidence, but it can bite you. It can bite you when nothing's going in. And that was really the case. Miami took advantage. They had much better guard play. Uh, Wong was terrific. McGusty was great. Um, so yeah, the the concerns with Auburn are real. Tennessee, I, I feel like I'm gonna buy in every single year and, and get burned every single year because the defense <laughs> is so real. And, and this year I was like, oh, they have great guards. Like they're, Ziegler, the new,
2: they're the new Virginia, right? They're gonna they're gonna be people are gonna count them out until they get it done.
1: Yep, yep. And you know the the days of the day that Barnes made the turn or the Final Four seems so distant. Way back with TJ Ford back in the day. It's just it, he doesn't it doesn't seem to get it done like you said in March. So the, the SEC had much more concerning failures to me, uh, like Alabama losing by double digits to a team playing its second game in 48 hours after driving out or, or flying out west. I mean, uh, real quickly
2: because I know Maryland fans love Nate Oates. They're like, "Oh, we got to get Nate Oates, Nate Oates, Nate Oates. That team this year, I mean, the metrics are out of control in this regard, right? They were. I don't have Ken Palm up in front of me, Jim, so you can you know correct me if I'm wrong. They had they shot per possession, they shot what, like 48 threes of their possessions, and they were like a 30 shooting team. It's like what these things don't match. This is like water and like oil. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, was- this is this is your strategy, and you suck at shooting.
1: Square peg round hole all season with the, uh, with the team, the roster. And like, that's on oats. Like you built a roster around a bunch of guys who can't shoot. Uh, Granted, they did lose a a really good shooter in the preseason to a torn ACL, but one guy wasn't making the difference here. Um, they, They just didn't have the pieces to play the style he wants. And I tweeted something about that after they lost. I was like, I'm worried he's getting seduced into a Shaka smart at Texas esque issue where he's got to take all the talent that wants to play there. But if the talent doesn't fit the style and he's not shown a lot of flexibility with the style, then they're going to struggle. Um, and I, I was told that the five-star recruits he has coming in are not good shooters, which is alarming to me because otherwise uh, they're, they're just going to really struggle to, to, to score. I mean, if they're going to be a 30% three-point shooting team, that, that offense is going to have flaws every single year. Uh so yeah, I, I I love Oates. I've loved him for years. I thought what he did at Buffalo was absolutely incredible. But I think like Shaka, he needs to be recruiting his style rather than just gobs of talent. The fit is more important for him.
2: So a couple other thoughts on uh on what we saw this weekend. Uh, you know, I don't want to make this a big because I'm sure all the you know, yelling shows are you know refereeing is out of control and all this i i do look i you know you love this sport the more than i do i mean i love this sport uh you know she loves this short sport i don't know how we got to fix it um I, i'm i'm all for getting things right but for the love of god man like every game at the end is it's unbearable it, it's really hard to watch everything is a review uh you know the the technical foul uh, on uh, on the kid from uh, who was that Illinois Illinois, Illinois the dunked yeah it was just like what are we doing here like they had they teed up um, who was it they teed up someone over the weekend I'm like we, there should honestly unless you're punching someone in the face or like throwing a chair Bobby Knight style there should not be technicals in the NCAA tournament I, I you know and and then you know the Purdue Texas game. Was just, I mean, that game was hard to watch. It was forty-five free throws. It was gross. I mean, so everything. It felt like every possession Jim was just was just a uh, was a free throw shooting contest. So here I am complaining about you know the refereeing. It was a fun weekend. The Baylor comeback, which we can get to here, or meltdown by UNC and ultimately coming out was was something else. You know, but I don't know what we need to do with the reviews, but it's bad. It's 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 really it's kind of a buzzkill, right? It's like, Oh yeah, we got this great game going. Woo. We're going to finish. And it's like, Oh, and we got to, Oh, got to add 1.2 seconds to the clock. I'm like, all right, let's just, there's gotta be a, a faster way to figure this out. Yeah.
1: It's gotta be an, it, it, we we probably should allow an element of human error into the game. And we've, we've tried to legislate that out, but the result has been all these stoppages. I think especially for the NCAA tournament it would be great to have a, Uh, you know, a command center where it doesn't have to be the refs on the floor. It's guys in this command center that are looking at reviews immediately or replays immediately as they happen, take 60 seconds tops. Either you flip it because it's obvious or you leave it. Like I I think there should be a cap on them because if you can't tell in 60 seconds, maybe it's just not worth changing. Uh, So something like that, some sort of review cap. And and the one that always drives me nuts is block charge stuff. I I think it it was terrible again all weekend. It's always going to be terrible because, the temptation to call charges seems too great. Um, So at some point getting that out of the game would be okay with me. I took a lot of charges when I played. So did I got to, but I get it. It it is not great for the game. There's it sometimes has risk of injuries, guys sliding under guys that are in the air. So I'm pretty much had it with, with the block charge because I don't think it can be called correctly. Uh, There hasn't been any evidence that it can be. Um, So yeah, there's definitely some things we'd love to see fixed. The game is not perfect. Um, I hope they take a look at some of it
2: over the off season here. Yeah, because this is, you know, for the sport that, you know, for the most part, people don't really pay attention till to the month of March. It, it, it's not great for it. You want it to be at its best. You know, yes. <laughs> we're like, we want more people to like the sport that we love and we need it to be at its, its peak. All right. A couple more thoughts. Uh, we haven't talked about Duke at all, uh, but let's get to UNC Baylor because UNC was another one of those teams and they and they advance. Um <laughs> i just i don't know what they are and and because they at their peak they beat duke in cameron they looked amazing they're running baylor out of the building (laughs) and then manic brady manic gets tossed out of the game for throwing an elbow and you know who knew he was worth 20 points to the to unc because they just collapsed uh hubert davis calls a timeout last play of regulation they run iso and they get a 27 footer contested i'm like oh that was That was good usage of a timeout, but they get it done. They figure out a way. So, you know, Baylor was, I think by most people thought this would be the most vulnerable one and uh, people were right uh, because I thought this was a tricky matchup for them with UNC. I thought Kentucky obviously would be a tricky matchup. They're gone, but you look at this UNC team and you look at that region, which is just, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the region on its head. It's UNC, it's UCLA, it's Purdue and St. Peter's uh, remaining there in the Sweet 16 in Philadelphia. You know, When you look at this UNC team, now knowing at their best what they are, could you make a case that they come out of this region? Sure, yeah. I mean,
1: I, I still think the Purdue defensive flaws are there, so there's a concern. Uh, they, they gave up no points for 10 minutes against Texas and still gave up 71. I mean, that tells you how bad
2: the defense was the rest of the game by the way, I've never been more infuriated and anyone who's ever seen me kind of sweat out bets. Uh, I was just losing my mind that 10 minute stretch, just what was going on. And it's remarkable. it was awful. I mean, and, 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 by the way, it's back to the refereeing. I mean, I, you know, I, I did a write-up for that, that Texas game uh, for, for vison.com And I talked about it on my show and you know, I felt like they had enough bigs to, to slow them down. And just like that, they're picking them off. Everything's a foul. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, what, I mean, what are we doing here? So, um, but yeah, back to UNC. I mean, yeah. I mean, outside of St. Peter's, if you told me any, you know, you know, UNC, UCLA, or or produced in the final four, I'd be like, all right. I mean, wouldn't shock me at all.
1: Yeah. UNC has the, has the high ceiling. I mean, the, the talent on the roster is undeniable. You look at the recruiting rankings, um they, they, they've got a couple of five stars and a couple of four stars in the lineup they have basically no depth their top five guys are their top five guys and they're not looking to go to the bench very often and i think that was what really showed up in that baylor games you lose manic caleb love eventually files out they're down to two competent offensive players and davis and baycott somehow they get through overtime with just those two guys. davis that was, was amazing yep that, davis, that really surprised unbelievable. me. unbelievable I thought once it went to overtime, it was going to be Baylor's game because of the the depth issues that UNC was experiencing. Um, but their, their top five is excellent. They are going to give UCLA a heck of a game. I think that's going to be another awesome, awesome one. Maybe the best game on uh, Friday on Friday. Yep. Uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, UNC could definitely win it for sure.
2: All right. Let's get to Duke real quick. Coach K's. is, uh, I don't know if you've heard uh, this is his last year. Uh, he's, he's done. He's, There's been uh, some
1: whispers about that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I just texted my buddy who will be on the Westwood one call. And I said, Hey, uh, just so you know, uh, you, you're going to call coach K's last game. Uh, just, just so you know, uh, because <laughs> I don't see them getting out of the region. I don't like Duke. I mean, I, I don't like Duke as a team this year. I think people listening to this podcast have fiery hatred for the blue devils uh, <laughs> over the years. So I look at, you know, yeah, I, I give them credit. They beat Michigan State. I don't think Michigan State's all that great. Uh, they're they're fine. Um, you know, they ended up covering too, which I know bothered a lot of people <laughs> somehow, some way. They were losing, and you know, late in that game, and they and they get some wins, but you know, they still can't defend all that well. Jeremy Roach is playing better, which is big for them. So they have a they have you know, I have six dudes that are really good. Uh, limited depth, kind of like you said with UNC. Um, and so you know, when you look at this Duke team. Um, you know, at their best, they beat Gonzaga. They, they beat uh, Kentucky to start the year. Uh, you know, they had a stretch before that game where they lost to um, UNC, where they were just blowing people out. So, yeah, at their best, they can look pretty good. But I don't know. I in the first two games, eh, whatever. I mean, Cal State Fullerton, I can't take too much from. They didn't cover. Uh, that was a, a situation where there was a dunk late in that game, important to some. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Michigan State game, I didn't. I certainly didn't come away from that gym saying, "Oh, they found it. They're they're, they're good. They're gonna they're gonna run through this now."
1: Yeah, the, the defense was again the problem, and I know Michigan State was hot from three, so maybe that's part of it. But a lot of them were open jumpers, and that's because Duke is lazy uh, sometimes off the ball. Uh, Michigan State got a couple leak out transition buckets because Duke didn't get back. That's another concern. The one thing that I came away surprised and impressed by with Duke is that they were down late. And potentially Coach K's last game, mm-hmm. and they did not tighten up. They they made some huge plays, especially some of the younger guys. Keels hit a big three to tie the game. Roach hit the three to go up four with like a minute left. I thought those would be the games where they they might not shrink from the moment, but just kind of feel the weight of the expectations of the pressure of Shashevsky's final game. And they didn't. So I, I was I have to tip my cap to them because that, that was the, the problem I thought they would run into. Now I think the Texas tech matchup is really tough for them uh, and it's going to be a, an interesting game. The red Raiders give up no points in the paint. Duke's going to have to hit a lot of jumpers or find a way to the free throw line because otherwise they are not going to come not, 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 not compete, but I, I don't think they'll be able to beat Texas tech unless they rein in some jump shots.
2: Yeah. And they're an underdog uh, and, and, and the world, I mean, the world will be on Duke. They don't know who Texas tech is Texas tech, Played an ugly game against Notre Dame. Under came home. Thank you. Um, final thought on, on the first weekend. I think I've said final thought 20 times. So, uh, But that Gonzaga-Memphis game was as high level of a basketball game that you may ever watch. And I know it was a 1-9 game or 1-8, whatever Memphis was. Um, but I thought, and I think we said it on the show. If not, you know, I said it somewhere. The committee did Gonzaga no <laughs> – no no justice with their draw. And, you know, Georgia state is is not a 16 seed. uh, And they got the cover miraculously, or, you know, should have been all the way. And then ultimately did, they were the right side. And then this game, you know, and and the line opened way too high. um, And I'm watching this game and the first half kind of played out like I was expecting. Um, I was like the athletes of Memphis, it's showing. Holmgren is unable to do Holmgren things. And Timmy is getting dominated like he did in the Baylor game to drew Timmy's credit. That dude came out in the second half and was like Christian Leitner in against Michigan in 92. I mean, that dude was a fucking beast and he couldn't miss. And that's why they won the game. And now they've, and that's the thing too, about, you know, Gonzaga is, and I know, you know, the big boy uh, Durin got in some foul trouble. And I think that was a huge issue. They, they had foul trouble as well, but drew Timmy was what college basketball is all about, man. He's, you know, this, this veteran dude, and he's coming out. Now, Andrew Nemhart was burying threes Bolton, the uh, Iowa state transfers hitting threes. I mean, they were hitting big shots. I mean, Gonzaga it's as crazy as this sounds, Um, I wasn't all in on Gonzaga. I picked them to to get bounced by Arkansas because I was like, I can't have all ones in my final four. That game to me, Jim said, yeah, Gonzaga might win this whole thing because Memphis is really good. They're really athletic Eh, coaching eh, up and down. Uh, I thought they could have used some timeouts there late in that game. Um, But I came away from that game saying they just got punched in the mouth and they were getting bullied by the more athletic team and they came out of the second half and they were – they they got rid of that lead or that deficit by like the first media timeout. It was incredible. I was very, very impressed by Gonzaga, even though it's a one-verse-nine game.
1: Yeah, I mean, this you asked me about Arizona if I was more in- – impressed that they got through and figured it out or more alarmed about going forward. I think with Gonzaga, it's, it's the former, like I am I'm impressed that they figured it out in a game where they were not at their best. Memphis was kind of at their Memphis only had five turnovers. Like that's their whole bugaboo all seasons yep. that they coughed the ball up. Memphis played a, a as good of an offensive game as you could really expect from them. And like you said, Gonzaga took the punch. They rallied at halftime. Drew, Timmy's a little, uh, Editing of his halftime speech in the (laughs) post-game interview was terrific. That was good, yeah. Uh, But so I I, I think that that impressed me, like you said, that they came out quick and and took care of the lead and then down the stretch made enough plays to get through. And I think that's going to serve as a confidence boost for them. You know, last year they were winning by double digits every single game in the region. They were undefeated and and that just kind of – they were rolling and they ran into UCLA and and had a a big scare – but getting by Memphis, a team that for the past month and a half had played like a top-10 squad by basically every analytical measure uh, and, and figuring it out late, yeah, I think that's huge for Gonzaga. Uh, looking at looking at the spread against Arkansas, I think maybe it's still a tad high and the Razorbacks can hang around, but um, I, I think Gonzaga
2: proved something out there against Memphis on Saturday night. All right, let's get into uh, – let's get some early thoughts on the Sweet 16. We don't have to go crazy in depth here. Yeah. Um... You know, once again follow Jim on Twitter at second chance points I'm sure he's gonna have great stuff write-ups uh, for different companies out there so so make sure to follow him in the, in the three-man weave um, uh, you know we didn't talk about Saint Peters the darling uh, they they knock out surname state uh, I was very sad to see that happen uh, but uh, St Peters moves on I I gotta do a little more digging um, I don't like Purdue um, as a team we talked about their defense there in my opinion n- definitely not going to win the championship I think the winner of UNC UCLA I'll probably take them in the points against Purdue however in this spot I think Purdue is going to murder them uh, I think the big boys in Williams and Edie are going to eat them like they're you know hamburgers on July 4th I mean they and, and, and prove me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. That that spread is high, but Purdue always seems like the team, and they did it in the first round against Yale. Like, if they're playing a crappy team, they're going to murder them. So I, I just think the matchup is really tough for St. Peter's. And and more often than not, don't, you see these Cinderella stories. They go through the first round, and then this first time they're in, like, okay, now you've got people fully scouting them. It's like, oh, oh, crap. So – um, I hope that, I hope I'm wrong. I hope St. Peters makes it a game, but I, I think with Williams and Edie, if they're smart, they just pound those dudes and they just say good night to Cinderella.
1: Yep and St Peter's is they have an excellent interior defender in Casey and Defo, but he's small. He's like six, seven, 200 pounds. Uh, you can really overwhelm him with physicality. I kind of thought Oscar would do that and to an extent he did Oscar Shibway for Kentucky had at 30
2: a- and 16.
1: yep and got him in foul trouble. Uh, I think Purdue can do the exact same thing. You, you mentioned what Purdue did to Texas' front line with all the foul trouble they got him in, not to keep bringing up a sore subject. But,
4: yeah,
1: yeah, and St Peter's was really hot in their first two games. They are not a good shooting team, but this weekend they were lethal. Um, I, I I have a hard time seeing them get easy baskets even against Purdue's iffy defense, uh, and Purdue's got the answers for a, a really solid St. Peters defense. So I think that gravy train does run out a little bit there. Uh, I, I remember last, Oral Roberts only lost by two to Arkansas when yep. they made the, the Sweet 16, but I see a different ending for the Peacocks here, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I just think it's a bad matchup. Uh, you know, and, and and I think the public's probably, my guess, would be take the points. Like, oh, it's St. Peter's, this great story, you know, all this. I, I just think it's a bad matchup. Um, looking at uh, Thursday. Thursday, by the way, that game's on Friday. Thursday's games are out of this world. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we get them and they're, they're super competitive. Um, Houston, Arizona, uh, right now Arizona is a two point favorite Michigan Villanova, uh, haven't really talked much about Villanova. Um, you know, they, you know, workman's effort, uh, Ohio state came back in that game. Uh, and then Villanova was able to pull away Gonzaga, Arkansas, Texas tech and Duke. Um, you know, wherever you want to go with this, you know, we, we mentioned Houston, Arizona a little bit. I, I like Houston in this spot. I think they can attack the glass. Um, you know, I'm done doubting Kelvin Sampson. So now Arizona will probably win by 15. Um, but I like Houston. And then uh, I, I think Duke and Texas tech is going to be really, really interesting uh, because that is a team that I don't think they've faced a team like that. That those are some tough sons of guns, uh, old dudes, transfers you mentioned oral roberts kevin o'banner uh he was on oral roberts last year they're a team that is just a pain in the ass and you know they don't shoot very well so that could be worrisome um but you you watched last night uh notre dame just kind of run out of gas right notre dame had a lead i think with like two minutes to go and then just couldn't get anything going and texas tech just kind of pounded them into submission there so um I I, I kind of feel like that th- this is it. I mean, Coach K's magical career, greatest of all time or greatest modern era, whatever you want to call it. I think it ends on on Thursday to Texas Tech.
1: Yeah, I do too. I just looking at the opponents that Duke has played this year. They have only played one top thirty defense all season per Ken Palm's metrics, and that was Gonzaga back in November. Uh, so they haven't played a defense this anywhere near this good in months. Uh, now they take on Texas Tech who. I saw it. my favorite stat basically all season has been uh, Texas tech's paint defense. They played 24 different teams this year. 17 of them have their season low in paint points against Texas tech. They just make it impossible to get easy buckets. They're physical and and, and large at every position. Uh, so they can battle Duke that way. They're going to force them to the perimeter. And I just don't think that's the blue devil strength. I like think we'll see Trevor Keels and, and Jeremy Roach take a lot of, probably ill-advised threes to try to go over the top of this Texas tech defense. And that's, that's not going to work out. And if there's a flaw to the red Raiders, it's certainly the offense, but Duke's defense has been kind of a a healing elixir for a lot of struggling offenses recently. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm with Texas tech here. I I, I bet the minus one, uh, I believe the red Raiders will get the victory as well.
2: Yeah, I I'm with you. Um, uh, yeah, so Thursday, anything else uh, you like, Gonzaga, Arkansas, I- I'm probably going to stay off that game, I don't like that number, uh, Michigan, Villanova, Michigan's playing well, Dickinson's, you know, could be a bit of a, a matchup issue for Nova, they're not huge, but the thing about Villanova I'm betting against them, and-, and this needs to be reminded, uh, if they're down, if they're up two, and we start fouling, they're never missing. They're the greatest. This is not hyperbole. This is true. They're the greatest free throw shooting team of all time. I believe they're like 83% as a team. They don't miss free throws. So they're old. They're not going to miss. They're not going to be rattled. Uh, so I would, you know, I'll probably stay off that one. And I do like Houston a little bit uh, against Arizona. So of the Thursday games, I think you and I are in agreement on Texas Tech Duke. Anything else uh, you, you jumping out at you?
1: Uh, I'm hoping Michigan, uh, excuse me. I hope hoping Villanova goes a little lower. Uh, I know it's down to four and a half in some places. If I can get that down to four, three and a half, I'll probably uh, take a swing there. I haven't gone through the totals that much yet. You know, I love, I love, you these love your unders. totals. Oh yeah. Yep. So I got, I got to hunt down a couple unders in this round that really, uh, uh get my juices flowing, but yeah, not, not a huge betting day for me Thursday. That's going to be more of the, just totally drink in the quality of basketball because I think it's going to be great.
2: Yeah. Uh and fading and fading Coach K uh trying to bet against him on his uh, last day. I mean, that, that'd be great, you know, if we were, were able to predict that correctly. Um, all right, let's uh let's quickly run through Friday. I mentioned St. Peter's Purdue. That's a big number, uh, 12 and a half. I think I might have to lay it. I, I you know, I don't love laying laying the chalk, but uh I just think Edie and and William. I mean, my God, here's the thing like can we play Williams more? That dude is a freaking monster i mean i i know zach edy's seven four but trevion williams is so fun to watch he's so good and jade and ivy i know there's comparisons and i'm not saying he is john ja morant but you know with his mom being an assistant down there with the grizzlies and you know him you know watching uh morant up and close and personal he has a lot of morant in him in the sense that he he almost threw down a dunk last night jim that would have brought the Freaking house down. He got smacked on the arm going up, but he tried to split two defenders and just violently throw it down. And then he hit the clutch three. I mean, Jaden ivy who's going to be a lottery pick, hit some big shots. That three he hit late in the game was the dagger and uh, it was deep. So, uh, I, I still don't think Purdue is going to win the championship, but they're going to be in the elite eight and, uh, and they, they got some fun pieces, components to watch. So I, I, yeah, I would think about you know looking at the uh looking at the 12 and a half there. Yep, for sure. Uh, I, I
1: also I'm a big fan of Providence on on Friday. Really? That's a bet I like a lot. Yeah. I know they've been blown out like twice this year, but I just man, I, I don't see them in the the biggest game of the season. A whole bunch of 24, 25-year-olds on that roster. Um, I, I think they keep it close with Kansas. I know the Remy Martin return and his. Um, emergence i guess as a key piece for them has been huge but i just uh, the friars are a a pain to put away uh even some of the games where they ended up coming back to win they got down double digits and came all the way back i i have gotten to the point where i believe in this team uh, granted they had some mega friendly shooting splits against richmond I, I don't think i've ever seen a colder team than richmond that uh, on saturday Shot
2: quality is a site that uh I'm sure Kevin would laugh at, but it's, you know, an analytical site that breaks down, you know, what the, what the score should have been and Providence who won by what 20 plus against Richmond. Yep. Uh, should have lost the game per that website.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Richmond was one for 22 from three and eight for 21 from the free throw line like that. I've I've just never seen anything like it for a pretty good shooting team. Uh, But the Friars are pesky and, and some part of that credit to, to richmond's poor shooting night goes a little bit to providence's defense i think they're gonna be pesky that entire night i don't know if they'll beat kansas i hope I not. Have ch- i have i think they have a chance to and i think they'll hang around i hope not too tim but I, I, seven I got, and a half too many
2: points yeah i got a lot of uh things wrapped up here in the kansas jayhawks here to to make it out so uh i need i need something daddy needs uh daddy can't lose all his bets um but uh yeah i i Look, you know, the Creighton game is kind of eye opening to me, uh, how they let Creighton kind of pesker around, uh, you know, hang around and lurk and, and almost win that game. All right. Uh, so you like Providence. Um, we're, I think we're in agreement. We, we do like Purdue, even though it's gross laying that many points. Um, UNC UCLA, I got to do a little more digging. I don't know. Uh, it's hard betting UNC, betting honor against them just because you just that was one of the most popular bets of the weekend public was taking the points with them and Baylor and, and the public won, uh, which doesn't happen often. Just ask Tennessee backers on, uh, on Thursday, by the way, uh, Zave, our good friend who I saw out in Vegas, uh, I saw him tweet that he was all over Tennessee. I was like, Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. That was a pr- pretty clear indicator. A lot of people were on, uh, on the vols, but um, anything on Miami, Iowa state, that game's going to be ugly. Good Lord. Iowa state, Wisconsin. I think, you know, we basketball took a like six steps back during that game.
1: Yep. That's kind of what Iowa state does. They, they muck the game up to make it, make it ugly. Um, I like Miami and this might end up being one of the unders I like. I just, Iowa state unders have been bet up for two straight rounds and they have sailed under the total easily. Um, So I'm, I'm thinking about backing that as well. I think it's a bad matchup for Iowa state though. Miami, Florida has a bunch of guards that can handle the ball. They've got shooters. Wisconsin was ice freaking cold from the perimeter. I don't think we'll see that from the hurricanes, Um, but Hey, a lot of people have bet on Miami already. The number has moved quite a bit. Uh, So people are in agreement there.
2: Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree too. So I I like Miami uh, a little bit too. So yeah, uh, some favorites that I like. That that doesn't make me feel great. I, yeah, I could jump on the Providence train with you, but uh, all right. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Uh, real quickly, uh, a couple things. I uh, just want to, while Jim is hanging out here, um, shout out to my, uh, to my brother's alma mater. There's some people in the D.C. area that go to Randolph-Macon College. Uh, I wrote a story on them when the pandemic hit. They were, I think, number one in the country. Uh, they just obliterated everybody won the D three national title. So uh, a little shout out here to, uh, to Randolph Macon college winning the national title first ever in any sport. Uh, and then, uh, we had a listener, uh, Jay red, who we actually played high college basketball against each other. Well, not really Jim, because he was two years older than me. So I watched, you know, a lot of basketball my first two years. Uh, but, uh, Jay appreciate you listening. He was, uh, w- was impressed about the, uh, the I 270 uh, note but uh, I'll leave us on this Jim uh I, uh I I had dad duty this weekend and I was in a contest uh at uh, at, a, at a local sports book and it was a last man standing contest essentially you had to pick a game against the spread uh, you could get as many as five entries and you had to pick a game against the spread and it's survive in advance essentially last man standing it was it's kind of like hitting a big parlay so I was in this Uh, And our friend Jared Smith was helping, helping me out too. And uh, my five entries went down to three after the first day and then down to one uh, after Saturday, uh, after Friday. And then we survived on Saturday with Michigan. Uh, But while I was trying to get the Michigan entry in, I walk into the sports book and I've got my son with me. He's four years old. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, this is good fatherhood. So I'm like filling out the sheet that I need to fill out. I'm waiting online and Whoever runs the sports book just pointed at me and was like, Not allowed. And was like, Get out. I was like, What? I was like, Can I just, all I need to do, I was like, I see, can I just give this to you? They, I mean, <laughs> it made me, it made my already crappy parenting decision of bringing my child into a sports book on a Saturday morning to make a bet already feel terrible. And then I got yelled at and scorned. And then I handed it, I was like, All right. I asked some guy behind me, I was like, can you just hand this in? No money is being exchanged. He's like, yeah, sure. So I go to stand on the side, a security officer comes over. He's like, you can't stand here. I'm like, good Lord, man, just let me get my ticket in. So um, that'll be a, that that was a a fun way. Proud parenting moment, Jim, uh, of of bringing my child to a sports book and getting yelled at by multiple people that he was not allowed to be in said sports book.
1: Yeah, I guess lesson learned, (laughs) but I I think it's good. I I think your son is going to come by it honestly and become a
2: a wonderful gambler because of the influence of his father there. And then I saw someone I knew at that hotel and they're like, oh, are you getting some bets in? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I feel pretty, pretty, pretty awesome about it right now with my with my child by my side. All right. With that, that's going to do it for me filling in for Sheehan. Uh, thanks to Jim for jumping on a couple times. Thanks to Jeff Ehrman. Uh, she, and should be back tomorrow. Um, if he's not, I don't think I'll be hosting this podcast, but it's been a lot of fun. We appreciate all the comments. And, uh, and, uh, by the way, um, I always love some vindication. I was so wrong on St. Mary's on, uh, on Friday's pod about UCLA, but I did call USC frauds. And some.